You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're in Colossians here this fall. We've got three sermons left in our Colossians series, and that number includes this sermon, uh, the title of which is Opening the Valve. You're going to see where that comes in in just a moment. But we're just going to look at a very short text here in Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. And uh, let's go ahead and read it, and then we'll pause and pray and really just direct our hearts. So Paul writes this, Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. All right, we'll break it down in just a moment. Let's pray and as an act of worship, just devote and consecrate this time to God. God, I just personally sense your presence in a really profound way tonight. And I'm grateful, Lord, for those times when we can even just feel your presence. We know that you're present cognitively. But Lord, when I, when I just recognize it even the, in the, from the core of my being in a tangible way, I'm just so overwhelmed and I'm so grateful and captured by your beauty, your glory, your mercy and kindness that just pours into my life and our lives. Lord, uh, you're beautiful and you're wonderful. And so as an act of worship right now, including myself, we just take this time, this moment, and as best we know how, we just clear our mind of anything that could be competing for our attention And we just lay all of that aside, and we pledge this moment to you, Lord, as as best we know how we, we want to hear and position ourselves in humility before your authority and invite you to speak to us. You are the way maker, a life giver, a one who brings resurrection to dead things. I just pray, God, that your powerful word would be heard and received deeply in the core of our beings and let it bear fruit for your kingdom in Jesus name. Amen. Um, Let's look back at verse 12. So Paul begins, he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And he's speaking of this past tense. This is who you are. He's writing to these Colossians, likely a predominantly Gentile church, maybe some Jewish believers also mixed in. But he's saying, you are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved right now. And this is a pattern in Paul's letters. Typically, the way he starts is he says, here's what's real. Here's what's true. This is who you are right now. Therefore, because this is who you are, now let's get everything else, your thoughts, your behaviors, everything else. Let's, let's cooperate with the Holy Spirit to get that aligned with what's, what's true and what's real. So in other words, what he's not saying is, let's, let's just change your behaviors and start acting your way into a new 
identity. Let's behave your way into, into becoming a new person. No, Paul's, Paul does the opposite. He says, you are a new creature. You are a new person. You are in Christ. This is who you are. This is your true self. Therefore, as God's chosen, holy, dearly loved people right now, let's get everything else into alignment. Let's start thinking like the person you are. And let's start relating to human beings like the person you truly are. Get everything else aligned with your true self. So he says to the Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen people, it doesn't matter how unchosen you feel, you're chosen. It doesn't matter how unholy you feel, you're holy. It doesn't matter how unloved you feel, you are loved with an everlasting love. This is what's real. Our job is to simply agree with that and now cooperate with the Holy Spirit and clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and on and on it goes. And then verse 13, he gets into forgiveness, which we're going to look at at the very end of the sermon. But for now, I want to show you, uh, for these next few moments, I want to show you a series of diagrams. And I use these types of diagrams um, every so often in particular contexts. I find that they're helpful. And just before I break this one down, this first one, you'll notice... You'll notice something in this diagram, and that is, uh, it's helpful, I think, and and even scripture gives us language like this. For example, in Hebrews 4.12, it can be helpful to think of ourselves in three different aspects, that we have three, there are three aspects to yourself, spirit, soul, and body. So your spirit, that's, that's your innermost being. That's the very center and core of who you are. It's the most fundamental part of who you are. The orientation of your heart. That's your spirit. And then there's your soul. And in the Greek, like in Hebrews 4.12, the Greek word for soul is suke. And it's where we get words like psyche and psychology from. So it has to do primarily with your mind. That's what your soul is. Your soul is your thought life the world of your emotions, your dreams, your assumptions, your anxieties, your fears and worries, your memories. Uh, It's how you experience life and interpret life. That's your soul. Just think of it simply as your mind. So you have your spirit, you have a soul, you also have a body, and I don't think I need to talk about your body. I think we all understand that. So let's look at this first diagram. And what you're looking at here, this is God's design for how things are supposed to work. This is how God has designed things to function. First of all, God wants to define the very core of who you are, the very center of who you are. You say yes to Jesus, you pledge yourself to Christ, the scriptures say you are a brand new person. Your spirit comes alive, and you now are in Christ. You have a whole new identity. So God communicates to your spirit, this is who you are. You're a child of God bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, holy and blameless and spotless, seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is who you are. So God defines your spirit and tells you and communicates to your spirit all of these truths. Then it is our job out of his empowerment, it is our job to then tell our soul, our mind, what to think. That's not God's job. That's our job to tell our brain what to think. 
Uh, sometimes people think that you are your thoughts when actually there is a part of you that transcends your thoughts. And that's why you're capable of telling your brain what to think. If there wasn't a part of you that transcends your soul, your thoughts, then you wouldn't be able to do that. But in fact, you can tell your mind what to think and, and reflect on and dwell upon. In fact, Scripture tells us to do so. Take every thought captive unto Jesus Christ, right? So from our spirit, from, the, from our heart, in other words, our heart then is meant to tell our soul what to think and reflect on and meditate on and so on. And then our mind, our soul, then tells our body how to act and how to behave. And then our bodies then impact the world. Now watch this. If everything aligns perfectly just like this, then God's will gets done on earth as it is in heaven. It's that simple. From God to spirit, spirit to soul, soul to body, body to world, God reigns on earth as it is in heaven. We can just close the surface right now. I mean, that's, that's it. All right, let's just get that aligned. Unfortunately, as we all know, things don't always operate this way. Things are a little messed up right now. Uh, because right now, we as a human race, we are in bondage to a power, a principality, that we ourselves as a human race, have invited in on this world. And Satan, our adversary, um, is the great perverter. He's, he's perverse. And that word perversion in the Latin, perversio, means to turn upside down. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. Is he, wants to take, he wants to take God's design for how things are supposed to work, and he wants to flip it upside down, and it looks like this. So first of all, it begins with Satan himself, who the Bible calls the God of this age. And in the book of 1 John, it says that the whole world lies under the power or the influence of the evil one. And so Satan then wants to take his influence in the world, in the culture, in the environment around you, and he wants to use it to impact our bodies. Everything that comes at you, comes at you as mediated through your body through your eyes, through your ears, through your five senses. And so our bodies then, according to his design, tell our mind, our soul, what to think. And we establish these thought patterns. And then the grand finale is, is that our spirit, the core of our being, takes all of this garbage that's been funneled through this system and concludes, maybe this is true. Maybe this is who I am. And so we acquire a false self, which is what we talked about Last week. So you see, he reverses everything. Under God's design, I am defined from the top down, from the inside out. Under Satan's design, I am defined from the bottom up, from the outside in. Let me give you a, a concrete example that will help you to kind of flesh this out. Um, true story. There's a young lady who I'm going to, for the purpose of this sermon, I'm just going to call her Amber young lady named Amber who grew up in a household where she never got uh, the kind of recognition uh, from her father and the kind of affirmation from her father that her brothers received, whether it was pertaining to sports or academic accomplishments. Um, it was always about the accolades of her brothers, even though Amber was way more gifted and way more accomplished in those things, she never got recognition from her father on those elements of her life. What she did get recognition from her father for was her appearance. 
And so her father would always like comment on her looks, usually in a negative way. Like he would say things like, just spontaneously, he would say things like, uh, looks like you're packing on a couple extra pounds there. Or um, do you really need that, that extra slice of, of chocolate cake? Or he might say, like, oh, your hair kind of looks disheveled today. Or, or that dress really doesn't suit you well. Or uh, your makeup just is not working for you today. And he would just say s- just little snippets like that. Sometimes he would say positive things. You know, he, he, every once in a while he might say, you know what, it looks like you're losing some weight. Or uh, your hair looks wonderful today. I love the way you're doing your hair. Or, or that dress really looks nice And so he would sometimes give affirmation in that way about her appearance, which is a good thing. It's a nice thing to hear and receive from your your parents. But when that's the only kind of affirmation that you ever get from your father, it communicates a particular message, doesn't it? A rather obvious one. And so the message that uh, Amber receives from a very early age, the message that she receives is, my worth and my value and my identity as a human being is directly tied to my ability to get a man to notice me and to impress him. And so this is an example of Satan utilizing whatever influence he has in a person's environment to communicate a false image of ourselves or someone else or even of God. Now, it's not the case that Amber's dad is like demonic or anything. We're not, we're not saying that. He was probably just regurgitating the same type of stuff that he heard in his house from his dad. But this is an example of Satan having, having uh, taken his influence, whatever degree of influence he might have in that household or that culture, that environment, and he's able to use it to communicate a message to, to young Amber. And this message comes through her, eyes and through her ears, and it gets into her mind, and her mind turns it over and thinks upon it and meditates on it and establishes patterns of thinking, and ultimately, at the very core of Amber's being, she concludes, this is who I am. This is my identity, and my worth and my value comes from my ability to impress a man. Good news is eventually, Amber meets Jesus, And she pledges herself to Christ. She says yes to the Lord. And the moment that happens, in her spirit, in the core of her being, Amber is now a new creature. She's now a new person. She has spiritually come alive, and she is now in Christ. But listen closely. It's not the case that Amber's mind automatically just gets healed from all of that junk. She still has all of those memories and all of those old thought patterns that have still been lurking around her mind. And it's the same thing with you. There may be people in this room, and I know there are people in this room who have had a a, a tough past. Your past life was very, very difficult, and you had to walk through some horrific circumstances. So you got a lot of garbage and baggage that, that existed from your past. But then you met Jesus, and you came to know Jesus personally, and you submitted to Christ, and I need you to know the moment that happened, you became a new person. You became a new creature, and you now have a new identity and a new destiny in Christ. However, it's not the case that your mind just would, should automatically 
get healed from all of the garbage that you've inherited throughout your life. No, you still have all of these old thought patterns and all of these old memories and all of this junk that's still kind of floating around your mind. And because of that, your life's messed up. Your life's messed up because your mind's messed up. But that doesn't mean you're not genuine. It just means you're messed up. And you know what the truth is? Every single one of us, to some degree, we're all messed up. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're messed up. Boy, the the Sunday crowd enjoys that a whole lot more than you guys. That's right. We're all a little bit messed up. We've all got lies that have been lodged in our minds. The Bible calls them strongholds. And so what happens, and this is true of every one of us, do not think you're on your own here. This is true of me, and it's true of you, is that there's, a, there's an ever-present battle that takes place in the life of a believer, in the life of a redeemed person. And it looks like this. This is our last diagram I want to show you. Here's what the battle looks like. So, so first of all, you, here you have God from one side, and God is speaking to you. The very, he's speaking in, to the very core of your being. And he's communicating what is real and what is true. And that is, you are a new person. And you have a new destiny. And you, are, you, you have the very spirit of God dwelling in you. And you are rich in Christ. And you have peace that passes. So he's, God is speaking from one direction. You're a child of God. You've got royal DNA flowing through your veins. This is who you are. Yet at the same time, simultaneously, the enemy is using whatever kind of influence he has in the world around you, in the culture that you live in, in the environment that you dwell in, to communicate a false, deceptive message to you. And so there's this battle that's taking place. And folks, notice where this battle is taking place. It's happening where? In the soul, in the mind. Which is why it is entirely possible that you can be a genuine follower of Christ, but still have a mind that's messed up and unhealed. And it's an ongoing healing process. And this is why it's so important as followers of Jesus. Listen, we have been empowered by the grace of God and by the power of God's spirit to now under God's authority, tell our minds what to think. You have the authority to do that. Nobody else can do it for you. I cannot tell your soul, your mind, what to think. Only you can. But this is a consistent emphasis in the New Testament. Take every thought captive unto Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans, we are transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, think upon things that are good, true, noble, beautiful, You're a spirit being. You have the authority to do that, to tell your soul what to think. And so as followers of Jesus, it's so vital that we become people who regularly carve out time to think upon, reflect upon, and envision what's true about God in the face of Jesus Christ, what's true about ourselves, and what's true about one another, that we regularly think about, think about these things in the light of Christ and the truth that comes from God's mouth. And we fill our minds with God's truth. Why? Because we got to fight against all of that garbage that we've inherited in our minds from the world throughout our lives. 
And to the degree that we can get our mind, our soul, to align with God's truth, now that these truths, when we talk about joy unspeakable, full of glory, when we talk about peace that abides and passes all understanding, now these are not just thoughts that you think and verses you've memorized, but they become manifested in your life and you begin to walk in the experience of these truths. But to the degree that our mind is not aligned with the truth that comes from God's mouth, then this, this is, our lives are going to be disintegrated and that valve is going to be shut off. See, that's why I'm using this image of the valve. Your mind is the valve of your life. When you think of a, a water pipe, the valve is what determines whether the water is going to flow or whether it's going to be shut off. That's what your mind is. If the Holy Spirit is going to flow into your life and through your life, your mind has got to get aligned with God's presence and God's truth. But to the degree that it's not, to the degree that we continue to fill our minds and dwell upon and reflect on things that are not good, not true, not noble, not beautiful, and we rehearse the offenses that people have perpetrated in our lives, and we rehearse the terrible memories, the things that were spoken over us, and we allow that to define the way we think, it's a valve that now shuts off the flow of God's spirit. So we've got to get our mind aligned with God's truth. Amen. Amen. And the role of the spiritual disciplines, which we emphasize so much here, like worship, prayer, reflecting on scripture, the role of the disciplines is to keep that valve open. To keep that valve open so we can more and more be attuned to God and be present to God throughout our day. And these things over time become a lived experience in our lives. And we begin to walk in these things that Paul talks about in, in verse 12. So Paul goes from verse 12, then he goes into verse 13, and he talks about forgiveness. And I, wanna, I want us to look at verse 13 one more time. I want to spend this, this last uh, four or five minutes, don't hold me to it, these last four or five minutes on this issue of forgiveness. Because one of the great all-time cloggers of that valve is unforgiveness. And so Paul says this to the Colossians. He says, bear with each other. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then he pauses and he reminds the Colossians why this forgiveness matters so much and why it's so important. Forgiveness matters not just because it's a good idea. And forgiveness matters not just because it's a nice thing to do. Forgiveness matters because it's absolutely central to Christianity. Without forgiveness, there is no good news. Without forgiveness, there's no gospel. And we as a human race are permanently estranged from God. But thank God he's made a way through the person of Jesus Christ for us to receive forgiveness and to now participate in a life-giving relationship with God. That's why forgiveness is so fundamentally important. And what Paul is trying to emphasize to these Colossians is the fact that we need to forgive as forgiven people. As forgiveness, as we perceive and understand and experience the forgiveness and the mercy that pours into our lives, the idea is we would now become formed by that mercy, by that forgiveness, into merciful, forgiving people. And the valve is your mind. What are you going to rehearse? What are you going to think upon? If you're going to think upon an experience 
the, the, the mercy and the love of Christ in prayer and worship as you, as you behold the beauty of God's orientation towards you. God's unqualified, um, unrestricted mercy upon your life that you simply receive and that you simply allow to form you as you receive that and think upon it. Our mind is the valve that now allows that same mercy and forgiveness to flow outward. The mind is the valve. But if your mind is consistently rehearsing the offense that this person perpetrated upon you, then everything shuts off. Mercy is like a river that's constantly flowing. And once it finds something that won't cooperate with its flow, it finds a different route. And so mercy must not only be received, it must be given. That's what we find in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So mercy is a constant river flowing and, and cycling. And so it's, it's important that, that we understand that for the Christian, it's not a question of if we should forgive others, but how we do this. I think of unforgiveness as kind of like maintaining a garden. If you're going to plant a garden, you go to the store, you get some seeds, you get the soil, you plant it, you water it, you fertilize it, and you do everything you do to cultivate these plants. But that's just half the battle. The other half of the battle is you got to pull some weeds. Because if you ignore the weeds and allow the weeds to grow, they, they get bigger, the roots grow stronger, and pretty soon they choke the life out of the garden. Same thing is true with our Christian growth. We want to cultivate these Christian virtues of compassion, kindness, mercy, patience, all of these things that Paul mentions in verse 12, but we also got to deal with the weeds, the weeds of, of unforgiveness, for example, because if you, if you allow unforgiveness to take root and you don't deal with it, it gets bigger, it gets stronger, it chokes out the life of your garden. So it's not a question of if we should practice forgiveness, but how we do this. And so I want to take just a minute or two and just give you a couple quick things about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. And I think for someone here, this is going to really take some pressure off of you. First of all, forgiveness is not forgetting what happened and pretending that nothing happened. It's not ignoring problems. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to trust the person again. It doesn't mean you have to become friends with the person. It doesn't even mean that you have to like the person. And it absolutely does not mean that you have to continue to remain in a position where you're getting hurt and abused. You know, when you're being abused by someone physically, emotionally, it is not an expression of forgiveness to remain in that position. That's not loving to yourself. That's not loving to the person. That's not okay, and that's not what we're talking about. So forgiveness is none of those things. But what forgiveness is, you know, we notice in Scripture that forgiveness is consistently described as a kind of releasing and a canceling of a debt. What you're saying is, I'm going to take this hurt, I'm going to take what's been, I'm going to take this wrong and I'm going to release it, and I'm going to entrust this circumstance to the one who judges justly, as Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 and following. He says, Christ entrusted himself to the one who, who judges justly. That's what forgiveness is. I'm releasing my right to take vengeance. I am letting go, and I'm no longer going to hold this person hostage in my mind. And I'm no longer going to rehearse the offense. When I have 
that memory of what was done, when I have the memory come into my mind, I'm going to tell my brain what to think. And I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to put my mind on something else. If, I, if I'm capable, I'm going to pray a blessing over that person. But I'm, not, I'm going to choose not to dwell on the offense. I'm releasing. And that's when the healing process begins. I think it's really impossible to begin the healing process when you're still clutching onto the offense and rehearsing it in your mind over and over again. So where does it begin? It really begins with a conversation with God. And to just say, Lord, is there someone in my life that I need to forgive? Because you know what I've discovered is sometimes you're not even always aware of the unforgiveness that you're harboring. A lot of times, for some of us, we know instantly who we need to forgive. But there may be times we're so good at compartmentalizing and we're so good at burying things deep in our subconscious that there, it's possible there may be people that we need to forgive that we're not even aware of. So it begins with a conversation with God. God, is there someone that I need to forgive? And when you ask that question, when you explore that, not just in one moment, but maybe it's a, a multi-day, multi-week process of, of digging deep, but as you explore that question, a number of things can happen. For one thing, you may have multiple people that come to your mind. There may be multiple people that have hurt you, that you need to forgive. In fact, it may be just one single event that even multiple people participated in. And, and sometimes that can be overwhelming. And so I think the place to begin is to say, Lord, man, there's a lot. There's a lot of people. How do you want me to proceed? Give me wisdom and discernment on where to start. And just know and give yourself grace. This may take weeks. It may take months. It's not like turning on a light switch. Forgiveness is a journey. Forgiveness is a journey. And, and it may take a long time for your emotions to get healed. I think of forgiveness sort of like driving a car when you're on the interstate, when you're on the five and you're driving 65 miles an hour because that's the speed limit. And all of a sudden you got to slam on the brakes. What happens when you slam on the brakes? Well, there's the law of inertia and your body keeps going forward, right? So you slam on the brakes and your body keeps going forward. Forgiveness is a choice to slam on the brakes and it may take a long time for your emotions to catch up. Does that make sense? You can forgive without feeling goosebumpy and excited about forgiving. Forgiveness is simply a choice to release. I'm no longer going to dwell on this. And I'm going to enter into the process, the journey of healing. So please don't think of it as turning on a light switch because you're going to get into self-condemnation the moment you start having those feelings again and those emotions drudged up. You're going to be thinking, I thought I forgave. It's a process, it's a journey, and it takes time for your emotions to catch up. And they may never catch up depending on the level of the offense. The next thing is this. Ask the Lord in prayer, what does it look like for me to forgive in this situation? What will forgiveness look like in this scenario? Because not every scenario is going to look exactly the same. For example, there may be people that you need to forgive and it really demands a conversation with the person. But sometimes a conversation with the person isn't even possible or it's not wise. Maybe the person you need to forgive has passed on. Maybe they're dead. But you still need to release that offense. 
and a conversation is not going to be part of that equation. Or maybe the person you need to forgive has severely abused you. And in that scenario, a conversation is not appropriate, not wise, and it's not the way to move forward. So ask the Lord, what does forgiveness look like in this scenario? Will a, will a phone conversation suffice? Or will I need to do this in person? And then, if the answer to those questions is yes, then ask God for literally a concrete vision of what forgiveness will look like. And I want you to imagine yourself with the Holy Spirit forgiving as Christ would forgive. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me to see myself. Actually envision the conversation, forgiving this person the way that Christ forgave me. And as you envision that, just notice some things. Notice the posture that you're sit sitting in. Notice your facial expression and what it looks like. Notice the tone of your voice and what it sounds like. Listen to the words that you're saying. The Holy Spirit will give you and help you see yourself forgiving that person the way that Christ would and having that conversation the way Christ would have that conversation. And the more concrete you can envision that, the more concretely you can envision that, the easier it will be. Does that make sense? That may be a unique piece of advice that may be new to you. But I think if you can see yourself, you know, God gave you an imagination. You might as well use it in a sanctified way. So say, Holy Spirit, help me to imagine myself forgiving this person the way you would want me to. And I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's going to give you that vision. And then the last thing I just want to say is this. What if you go through this process and you say, okay, Lord, can you bring someone to mind? Who do I need to forgive? And all of a sudden you get the face of a person in your mind and your instinct is to say, oh no, absolutely not. I cannot forgive this person. Lord, don't go there. Please don't ask me to do this. I cannot. What do you do in that scenario? I think the first step and the most important step is to be honest about it and to be authentic and to be real and say, God, here's why I don't want to forgive this person. Here are the reasons why, and I, I don't want to do this. And to just be blatantly honest and authentic. That's where that's the foundation of every life-giving relationship is authenticity. It does no good to pretend and to go through mo the motions. In fact, it may be counterproductive. We've been on Wednesday nights, we've been doing a, a Bible study in uh, First and Second Samuel, and we've, we've been talking about David. And there's an incident later in David's life involving his son Absalom. And you remember the story, Absalom, David's son, rebels, revolts against David, uh, tears the family apart, and there gets a point where David's so furious, and Absalom is so afraid of the consequences, he leaves Jerusalem, and Absalom takes refuge in a foreign nation, and he begins to live in exile for like two or three years. Absalom's out of the country, and David, there's just like this frozen hatred between them, and eventually Joab, David's confidant, comes to David and says, David, this isn't right. This is your son. Enough's enough. It's been too long. It's time to heal this thing. Let's make it right. And so David goes through the motions. And he says, okay, you can let him come back to Jerusalem. But his instruction to Joab is, I don't want to see him. He can come back. He can come live here again. I don't want him in the palace. And so he halfway forgives him. He just partially forgives him. But he doesn't forgive him from the heart. And it causes more problems. 
and the situation only gets worse. Partial forgiveness can be harmful. And so if you're not ready to forgive from the heart, just be honest about it. Be authentic with God. If you can't be authentic with God, who can you be authentic with? Just be real and say, God, my heart is not there. But this other thing is, say, God, I give you permission to work in my heart. Help me to get there. Help me to want to forgive. Give me the spirit-empowered capacity to forgive this person. Do some heart surgery in my life. And I guarantee if you're authentic with God and if you, give, if you pray that prayer where you just say, God, work in my heart, it maybe not even just a one-time thing, but maybe over several days or weeks, God's going to answer that prayer. And God is going to do a work in your heart. And it's going to be amazing, the work of transformation and healing that takes place internally and possibly externally. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.